0: From the game gurus at Snakes and Lattes, you're listening to the Snakes Cast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network.
1: Welcome back to the Snakes Cast, everyone. I'm Jonathan Moriarty. Joining me this week are my fellow game guru Steve Tassi. Hello. And the triumphant return of Kristen Travis. Hello. Her Tri- Matt. Tri- Tri- <laughs> so good to have you back. Okay, so we're going to talk this week about one of the candidates for the prestigious Spiel des Yaris Award for 2014, uh, Splendor by Marc Andre from Space Cowboys. It's a game about collecting gems and buying cards and scoring points, and this really doesn't sound very exciting, but before you dismiss it, let's uh, talk a little bit about what it's like to play this game. Guys, have you, you, you both played Splendor, right?
2: I have played it, surprisingly.
1: And what did you think of it?
2: Uh, I really enjoyed it. It was... Light, easy to play, but really uh, engaging, uh, despite the fact that it doesn't seem like it would be, Mm -hmm. by just being told about it.
1: So how about you, Steve? I have yet to
0: finish a game of Splendor. I have uh, been involved in a couple of games at the cafe where the point was to teach other people how to play it, Mm -hmm. uh, other gurus, other staff members and whatnot, Um, but uh, never once has the game made it to completion.
1: That's that's a shame. I've played it quite a few times, and I've really been enjoying it. And uh, I, I feel a little bit sad that you've missed out on the uh, the end game at this point, Steve. It feels quite different from the opening and the mid game. It's one that's one of the things that I've come to really love about some games is ones that have sort of an arc where the beginning, and the middle, and the end feel different from one another. And Splendor definitely has that. But uh, before we get too much into that, let's talk a little bit about how the game works. So you've got these bright, colorful, chunky, weighted poker chips in different colors that represent jewels of different kinds. You know, emeralds, and sapphires, and rubies, and whatever. And uh, you've got a bunch of cards in the middle of the table, and each of those cards have little colored circles on them that tell you how many of each color chip you need to pay to buy those cards. And so one card might cost you two onyx and a diamond, or something like that. Some of these cards, the ones that are really expensive, are worth points. And uh, the other thing, this is what really makes the game. Whenever you buy a card, all the cards have a big gem symbol in one corner, the top corner. And that's a permanent gem. Once you buy a card, that is a gem that you can use over and over again to buy more cards. So the more cards you have, the cheaper everything gets. And that's the curve of the game. You start with the opening, you're just collecting gems, using them to buy cards, and pretty soon you're using not very many gems to buy a lot of cards. this, this is the thing that I found so fascinating about is you start to feel more powerful as the game goes on. Did you get that sense, Kristen?
2: I, I did, actually. Um, and I got really excited by that. Uh, because I was getting more and more things that I didn't actually even notice the guy next to me Just <laughs> one and I was like darn
1: It's it's one of those games where you can get really sort of wrapped up in your own things Okay So I've got three blues now so anything I get the cost blue is gonna be super cheap So you tend to get kind of tunnel vision on just getting the blue stuff since you can that's only you can get those now and then well, yeah, Of course somebody else can uh, this is another thing about splendors that if there's a card out there on the table that you want but you can't afford it just yet, and you don't want anybody else to get it. You can use one of your turns to just take that card and put it on layaway. You know, the, the gem store is keeping it under the counter, and nobody else is allowed to buy it. But you still can. And every time you do that, you get one of these special gold coins that counts as one of anything.
0: Maybe it's because I haven't actually finished a game, but I don't understand
1: why you wouldn't just lay away everything. Um, well, there's it, one reason, and that is you're only allowed to keep three things on layaway at a time. Uh, once you've got three, can't lay away anything else until you get something else. But yeah, it's it's, it's
0: it, it prevents anyone else from getting a card that you mm-hmm. really like, and it gives you a wild card gem that you can use on future purchases. I don't see a downside. It it doesn't seem like a thing that you shouldn't do. Like it, it seems like a no brainer, do that. This is this do it as much as you can.
1: It's a really interesting thing because I actually had the exact opposite experience. When, why anybody would ever do that because you only get one chip. If you choose to take to collect diamonds on your turn instead of putting something on layaway, you can take three chips instead of one. Or you can take two of the same color if you want. And uh, it, it seems like every time you put something on layaway, you're only getting one chip when you could have gotten two or three. So you fall farther and farther behind the more things you get on the way. But you've got more flexibility because you've got those wilds that you can use, and you've got control. So the, 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 sort of the balance between power and flexibility is there on every turn. And I think that that gives a lot of, uh, a lot of leeway for players with different styles. To play the way they want to play, mm. you know the power players go for lots of gems. The finesse players gonna do the uh, do the layaway thing.
0: Now to go back to a point you had earlier about how you feel more powerful as the game goes on because mm. you're generating more stuff. I think that um, if you're a fan of Settlers, Settlers so was ten, right? You are. It has a similar feel to that. As as you spread your empire, you get access to more and more stuff. You get more powerful. So I think anyone who likes Settlers of Catan is probably going to enjoy Splendor for that similar effect.
2: I can see that.
1: Yeah, it's a really important point when you're considering what it is that sort of uh, leads people into this game, what it is uh, that leads people to enjoy it. That lead-in from Settlers is a great hook for it. And there are other things, too, that make this game successful with different kinds of players. Those bits... The chips. They're so big! They're so heavy, they're weighted, they're chunky, they've got that sort of iridescent uh, sort of sheen. To the stickers on them, they they, they feel they're like, fun to play with.
2: You almost don't want to spend them, <laughs> yeah,
1: especially once you've got a big stack of <laughs> something. Because oh, yeah. you want to be able to do that thing that poker players do, where you're going to sh- 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 with your chips and their and then their stacks. It uh, they feel significant when you drop a bunch of those down. It feels like a big expenditure, but then of course you get the power to collect more and more things, and as it moves from that stage to the other stage, I've yeah you know, they didn't have to do that. You know they could have just had little cardboard tokens or something. But the fact that they did those big chunky chips, huge difference, I oh, think, yeah. in, in getting people in. Oh,
0: yeah. The, ga- the game wouldn't be as pleasant to play if it was a bunch of colored tiddlywinks instead of mm-hmm. these hefty poker chip style chips with the, with the art on them.
1: They just, uh, and that, 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 that does such a great job of sort of giving people something to enjoy when they haven't quite grasped the strategy yet. So to get them over that hump. There's this, there's this slow ramp up too, where initially you're just buying a few cheap things, you buy buying a few more cheap things, and then as you've got uh, more and more of these cards, you can use them to start getting things for free, because you already have these permanent gems that you can spend over and over again. Um, and, and in a lot of cases, I don't know if you guys have the same sort of thing, but when I introduce uh, new game players, to games that are sort of designed meant meant to be gateway games sort of introduce them to what games can actually be sometimes it can be a bit of an uphill struggle sort of get them to the point where they feel like okay now i get it now i can see why this can actually do what it does Splendor does a great job of cracking through that
2: i haven't had the pleasure of being able to teach this at the cafe yet but i'm actually really looking forward to it because i always like that that moment where people actually get really interested and invested in the game. And I think because of the pieces, because of the look of the game, that will actually happen, like you said, before they learn the rules just from interacting with the pieces.
1: It's absolutely been my experience. They, um, it, it's And rather than being a sudden aha moment, like in No Thanks, where they said, oh, I can do this, um, it's somewhat sort of a slow dawning thing of a lot of little breakthroughs that they make playing Splendor. It's like, oh, I could do this, which means I could do that, which means, ooh. And then they've really, they've really got the interest. It uh, it also has a mix of skill and luck, which I think is really important for that sort of a gateway game. The fact that if a card just happens to flip up, it's like, oh, it's perfect for me. Then you can you can get lucky breaks, and that can sometimes give weaker players a chance to to catch up if they fall behind. What what about the theme? Is that uh, is that a plus or a minus? It's it's just about uh, a gem merchant's collecting gems and buying things, right?
2: I didn't even notice the theme.
1: <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> kind of abstract, I guess, like uh, Quirkle or pedigo or you know, Backgammon, something like that. Do you, do you, I, I, I don't know. It's, I, I've, I've had this sense that, again, the poker chips sort of play into this. The fact that it's collecting jewels, the fact that it's rich and sumptuous and God has this art of, you know, these jewelers looking really, really intently uh, at, uh, at, at whatever it is that they're, they're making. That's, uh, I'm not sure if that actually helps or doesn't. What do you think, Steve? Is is the theme a plus or a minus for this?
0: Uh, I the the theme doesn't tremendously grab me, mm-hmm. but um, there aren't a lot of games where the theme is um, really well integrated with the game. Like this one, I think that the theme and the mechanics are are very separate. There they don't really have a lot to do with each other Mm -hmm. Um, but then many many games are like that Uh, i mean ticket to ride sure yes it's a train building game but really it's not it's a game of collecting cards that are the same color yeah Um, there are some games where the theme is truly deeply woven into the mechanics but this is not one of them but that's okay Um, i find that a game that has good mechanics and weak theme is better than a game with great theme and weak
1: mechanics. Absolutely, so. totally. And uh, the, the, with a game this simple, it's even harder to integrate these, those two yeah. together. Usually, in order for a game's mechanics and theme to really uh, support each other, the mechanics have to be con- the rules have to be complicated enough that the theme makes sense. You know, if it's going to be a space empire building game, you have to have mechanics for how ships move and how they fight and how technology works and how space travel works and combat all this other stuff. Exploring planets. For sure. And you know, honestly, if this game did have like a fantasy or a science fiction-y type of theme, I think that would put more people off than it brought in.
2: Yeah, I don't think Mm -hmm. I would like it as much.
1: Yeah, jewels are something that anybody can get behind.
2: I especially get behind jewels. Yeah.
1: And the fact that it's 30 minutes doesn't uh, hurt as well. It's the perfect playtime. Most people, you ask them uh, how long a game do they want at the cafe, somebody's looking for a gateway sort of game. It's usually about half an hour, right? Yeah.
0: Because people who don't know games that much will say, I don't want something that's very long, so half an hour seems good. Mm -hmm. People who are really into games who say, I want something quick. A half an hour is quick. Yeah.
1: So it's it's the magic number. I've used uh, the uh, a sort of a TV uh, scheme to describe these things. Okay, do you want something that's like sitcom length? Do you want something that's TV show length, or do you want something that's feature film length? Huh. And uh, and this is sitcom length or miniseries length. <laughs> <laughs> Of course, no game of that length would ever get nominated for the Spiel des Jahres Award. And uh, for those in our audience who aren't familiar with this, uh, the Spiel des Jahres, or SDJ, is this uh, German Game of the Year Award. It's considered the most prestigious uh, game award in the world. Only one game a year wins it. It's a really big deal. It's like the Best Picture Oscar. and It's a huge thing where you know, a, a game that wouldn't ordinarily sell you know, ten or 20,000 titles will suddenly sell hundreds, if not uh, hundreds of thousands, or even millions of copies. Because it shows up everywhere in Germany and becomes big in the rest of the world as well. So uh, what, what characteristics does a Spiel des Jahres winner have to have? I mean, you guys have played a number of SDJ games before, right? Oh, yes. Lots. Yeah, so own quite a few. What do they have in common?
2: Easy to pick up. Approachable. Um,
1: nice bits.
2: Nice bits. Family friendly. All
1: right. So this obviously this one qualifies. Right? Three what to five family? players, generally speaking. Usually, yeah, it's uh, for mom, dad, and the kids to play together. Um, and they usually tend to have a very pretty uh, presentation as well. They need to have, uh, uh, sort of, they, they need to look good on the table.
0: Yeah. Now, the other so candidate... The rules are no more than like four pages
1: long. Like maximum. Usually, usually less. I mean, it's, and it's true. The, b- back in the day, Sellers a Catan won. That was in 1995, though, and the award was a very different thing back then. The, uh, the board game landscape was a very different place. Sellers is, what, a 12-page rule book? Something like that. Is it? Settlers of Catan could never be nominated for an SDJ today, mm-hmm. but um, but again, it's changed. It's become a much more family-friendly sort of thing where, it has to be something where everybody can play. Accessibility is king when it comes to this. Uh, the other nominees this year were a game called Concept, which is, uh, I always describe this as charades for really, really smart people. There's this board with all these this crazy array of symbols and you have to put tokens on them and you use these symbols to communicate an idea like you would with charades. And then there's Camel Up. Um, we played Camel Up a couple of days ago, the three of us, with uh, with, with Colin Young, the guy who uh, runs the retail section, Edge Snakes. And w- did any of us like Camel Up? I like Camel Up. Mm-hmm.
2: I like the pieces. <laughs> I, if I could just sit there, I don't know, like play them like Barbies, I would probably be a lot happier.
1: Those stacking wooden camels are so cute. They're really, really good. Um... And I, I very much like the
0: pyramid dice rolling device. I know you would rather have a bag to draw dice from. But I suppose
1: I would. Oh, I loved that. The pyramid's cool. It's got this weird cardboard, upside-down pyramid. You turn it upside down, you press a button on it, and one of the dice from the inside comes out, and you lift it off, and now you say, ooh, the green one goes two spaces. And, and, and that is, that is kind of cool. But uh, I don't know. I, I think I'd still rather play Lemming Mafia, an older game that does the same thing, but yeah. Which, so, which of those three games do you think is uh, setting the award aside? Which of those three do you think is the better game?
2: I've only played Splendor and Camel Up, and I would probably 90% of the time go for Splendor.
0: Okay. I have played all three, but as I say, I haven't played a complete game of Splendor. Um, the thing that puts me off concept. Um, Aside from the simple fact that everyone playing must be able to think abstractly.
1: Mm. And if you can't, you're boned. Accessibility is Uh, not one of its trunks. The other thing
0: that I I just don't like about it as a game is the rules explicitly say, Hey, here's how you score, but meh, scoring. Who cares? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) We're playing a game. There should be a winner uh, in I, I am of that mindset, generally speaking. I mean, there are a couple Win. of games there are a couple of games where playing the game is the point, like the game of things and Telestrations. these are games where i I honestly don't care about winning, but if you're going to give it a scoring system, the scoring system should matter. and don't tell us in the rule book, yeah, here's how you score, but forget about
1: it. <laughs> I, uh, I actually found concept to be really interesting to play with. and as an experience, uh, it's, I think, more remarkable than the other two. But as a game, as you know, sort of a competitive uh, you know, competitive play thing, I, I, I kind of gotta concede the point, Steve. So all right, setting aside the question of which is the better game, which one do you think is going to win?
2: Uh,
1: based yeah.
0: on the, based on the buzz it's been getting at the cafe, I'd say Splendor.
1: Splendor looks Uh, like a front runner to me too.
0: Based on the look of it and what it does, I think that Camel Up has a good shot. Um, But here's the interesting thing, I think, about the buzz about Splendor. Yes, a bunch of the staff are into it, but most of the people I've seen playing Splendor at the cafe have come in and pulled it off the shelves themselves. I have not been recommending it to people they're just gravitating towards it. I don't know where they've heard about it. I don't know if it's been featured on Tabletop or something, but... That's Top of the Hotness on BGG. There you go. That could be it. Uh, That's BoardGameGeek.com, folks, in case... uh, Uh, So, you know, it's, it's getting attention from other people than the staff at the cafe, which I think gives it clearly an edge.
1: I've actually been pushing it pretty hard myself. I've been bringing it to a lot of groups, two, three, four players... Uh, it has been just getting a tremendous response groups, especially for people who have never played games before that are modern. There's, well, you know, we like Monopoly, we like Risk, what else have you got? Uh, Splendor has been just a rock star. Every time people say, I had no idea games could be like this. What do you think, Kristen? I
2: haven't had a chance to, to teach it at the cafe, but mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to it. And um, I, I do think that it, it will be a great cafe game and it would be a great Spiel des Jahres winner. Um, How do
1: you like its chances?
2: I actually think it's pretty tied with Camel Up. Hmm. I know, you guys all think, but Camel Up is just so cute. (laughs) And I know the rules are a little weird and kind of hard to get behind, but it was really cute.
1: Well, I guess we're going to see. The winners will be announced on the 14th of July, and uh, between now and then, who knows, we might do some game spotlights for Concept and Camel Up in between. Let us know if you're interested in seeing that through your favorite social media outlets. Until next time, thanks for listening. I'm Jonathan Moriarty with Steve Tassi and Kristen Travis. Game on. Game on. Bye. Thanks for listening. You can find more from the Game Gurus by subscribing to the Snakes and Lattes YouTube channel or by visiting our blog. Just go to snakesandlattes.com and click where it says blog up near the top of the page. Until next week, I'm P.T. Douglas. Game on.